Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast brought to you by SME Strategy. My name is Anthony Taylor and I'm going to be your host today. On the Strategy and Leadership Podcast, we interview senior leaders and thought leaders to get their best practices for leading teams, for driving and executing strategy, and other best practices as it relates to leadership and team development. And our goal here on the Strategy and Leadership Podcast is to bring you practical and executable tips that you can use right away to support the growth of your organization or your business. So if you enjoy today's episode, please be sure to subscribe. You can follow us on YouTube for other bonus content on strategy and leadership, or, and you can join in on the conversation on Facebook in the strategy and leadership community. So I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. My guest today is Andy Goldstrom, who is the managing partner of Midcourse Advisors. Andy, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. My pleasure. What is happening in your part of the world right now? Oh, it's turning to fall all of a sudden, even though we're in Atlanta, it is getting a little colder. Yeah. And uh, and working with a lot of companies who are trying to continue to adapt and trying to stay fit and healthy with uh, myself and my family. Uh, How about yourself? Just like you said, keeping busy, trying to manage the world around us as we were sort of chatting, obviously, when we got started, talking about managing change and and helping leaders sort of do that and companies and teams do that. So it's the world around us. And I don't think change is is going anywhere. So that being said, tell me a little bit and tell us, I guess, a little bit about what you do at Midcourse Advisors, and then we'll get into your your bio and background and and go from there. I help companies grow. And so it's pretty simple. And uh, companies move into different directions based upon their journey. And it's very easy to start a business, but it's not so easy to sustain and grow it. And so I have uh, a background that I'll get into later, you know, as a two-time Inc. 500 business owner. And so my fastball really is having been there as a business owner, having made the mistakes, having gone through 9-11 and 2008 with the, the meltdown and now now, it's how to adapt during good times and bad times to really leverage the resources and opportunities you have because resources and time are finite and people are having to adapt really quickly. It's interesting. I mean, you've got like a depth and breadth of experience from academic you know, teaching from uh, all of the companies that you've been a part of. And I imagine while you've been through what we'll call crises before, I imagine this one has a different flavor, but maybe you can sort of expand on how you got to where you are now in terms of some of the companies you work with. You don't need to list them by name or anything, but maybe some of the key sort of things that you're seeing that are similar from your past experiences. Well, I've been in, uh, in business for almost 30 years now, and I started in the corporate route, but I had an itch to solve problems and make things happen. And I uh, became a, a, a founding partner of a real estate company that saw the opportunity in an economy that was retracting in the early 90s to outsource their business and have a higher value, pro- added value proposition. So we actually were able to provide an integrated platform that provided flexibility and objectivity and expertise. And we did it all at a cost that was equal to a 
or better than what they would do if they insourced it. And so long story short, we worked with some, you know, really big companies. We were a no name at the time, but we were so disruptive. We worked with, you know, the companies like Delta Airlines and Boeing and Computer Sciences Corporation and United Technologies. And we did all of their work nationally and some even globally. We became an Inc. 500 company, one of the fastest growing companies and privately held companies in the, in the country, as you know. Sold the business in 2005, and I stayed on uh, with the acquirer, which was Johnson Controls, for about three years. And I was the region, the Southeast regional president, and one of the senior partners. Learned so much during that 13-year span because I started out as an account manager type and owner. You know, I was barely 30 years old, and I had to grow into my role in terms of being able to sell being able to manage people, being able to operate, being able to understand the financial aspects and make that all work. And I was lucky that uh, our value proposition was good and I had the grit to make it happen and made a lot of mistakes, but learned from all those mistakes. And subsequent to that, I was recruited to take over for the founder of a of another company that was a national company. And I thought it would be a good opportunity for me to step into that role. It was a recycling company. And by stepping into that role, I went from regional to national. And that company in just a couple short years became an Inc. 500 company as well because of its uh, the accelerated growth and profit I was able to help fortify and bring to the table as the president of that company. Next step was global. So I, I ended up as a global director at Deutsche Bank in 70 countries and learned a lot about finance and management and global operations, where I helped streamline a lot of operations globally. I had people who worked for me in London and Frankfurt and Singapore and New York. And then... You know, having been a diamond member on Delta for a number of years and with a lot of reorgs, I said, you know what? I have enough money in the bank. I have enough experience. I like helping people. I like diverse uh, assignments. And I opened my own shingle in 2016 called Mid-Course Advisors. And it's meant to help companies in kind of the mid-course of their, of their journey, uh, even though I do work you know, somewhat with startups and I teach entrepreneurship at a university and I work on some exit planning as well, but a lot of the changes that need to be made and places that companies need to adapt in order to keep the growth curve steady and move into that next line uh, are really during this mid-course phase. Mm, got that. So one of the things I heard, so thank you for that because obviously you've got a lot of experience and wanted to, to highlight it. You know, one of the things I heard, at least from your personal journey, you know, started off as something like a specialist. And then as you adapted and increased your ability to grow and to manage people, you know, develop your grit going through some of those tough times, you know, hit some of those curves and then went from regional to national to global. And then from there, like sort of broadened it to say, OK, I, you know, going from that specialist sort of place to saying, hey, how do I maximize those systems? So. You know, if we look at our listeners, who many of them are, are senior executives, business owners, CEOs, you know, what are some of those things that, that you really tried to adapt as a practice 
as you went through that growth curve, as you developed yourself as a leader in those various positions, what are, you know, two or three things that you, you started to adapt uh, on your path to, to personal and, and business growth? You know, there's a lot of adaptation you have to roll with, and some of it you can't control, and some of it you can control. And what I learned early on was when I first won my first major account with Delta Airlines doing their work, I realized it could have been just the Delta Airlines account, and Andy was the Delta Airlines account manager, and that was it. And I realized that my remit and the ability to scale were based upon doing a lot of other things. And so it included bringing good people on board, and it included uh, being able to develop them, being able to trust them, being able to compensate them properly, giving them a, a development path and a path to growth. And so that was a big aspect of my success is having a team around me that I could delegate to, that I could reward properly, that I could have a beer with, that I wanted to be around, that they wanted to be around, and they understood and supported the mission. If we all won, if they won, we all won. If, you know, if I won, they won. Um, so that was, you know, one just huge aspect. I couldn't have done it. And, and we started with one person. And by the time I left Johnson Controls, I was overlooking 500 people. So being able to do that was um, was really important. And then the second thing I think is uh, hand in hand is you can't scale without and grow without uh, good communication channels. The ability to communicate with a team of three when you know everything that's going on every minute and every day and you've put your neck on the line is very different than a team of eight, than a team of 50, than a team of 250 and beyond. And you have to be able to establish those protocols and the ability for people to understand what's going on, have different kinds of reporting mechanisms, incorporate tools that you have today like Slack and Monday and transparency where you have, you know, screens in your office that represent what's going on and, and all the measurement that's that's related. And, you know, being able to do that is really important. So those were two of the two of the key things I think that that I was able to to implement relating to leadership. And then I think the next part is really just about having standard processes and procedures in place that you can also automate because you can't really uh, manage what you can't measure and you can't have faith in what you are executing if you can't trust the results. And so if you have some consistent work that you're doing that you can automate or just have a, a, a repeatable process, I find that is one of the most valuable things. It takes away the micromanagement, but the, the real benefit that people don't understand is that your frontline people who aren't necessarily the most senior executives are the ones who are often the most customer facing. And they're the ones who can add the most value if they are not focused on working on a spreadsheet and instead are focused on listening to a customer need and serving a customer need. And frankly, that's where some of the best innovation comes from because you're actually hearing a customer and what their needs are and being able to report it and adapt to it as opposed to just grinding it out and not listening to the customer and getting the work done. And those employees are the most satisfied and most loyal because they're doing better, more value, 
high, highly value-added work, and the customer's happier. So the elements of those three things really uh, were big keys to my success that I help others with. It's not rocket science, but a lot of people have trouble implementing it because they get stuck in the weeds. They've never done it before. Things pull at them that take away from other parts of their priorities. And, you know, it doesn't take much when something like COVID hits where all of a sudden all hands are on deck that you forget some of the important things like people on my team, (laughs) you're struggling too, (laughs) you know, and they have situations at home and situations that they're dealing with that we really need to understand and we still need to continue to develop them and help them adapt so they can serve their customers better in 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 this new world so there's a lot to unpack there so first what i heard in in your sort of like your journey was you know recognizing your need to diversify for yourself and say, Hey, I could choose path A or I could choose path B. And one of them is like more in line with where I want to go and then adding value. And then when you made that choice, it sort of sounded like dovetail as, Hey, now I want to make that path for others. And it started off with that one person to say, Hey, I want to add value to this person, support them. And then us as a team, you know, making that happen. And then as you sort of develop that team, you know, setting up the communication channels, the protocols, the reporting to be able to like effectively work together, which sounds like it sort of underpins everything else that you did. And then within that, creating like the standard procedures, the results, the automation, the tracking and the reporting so that all of those things together, including sort of the leadership, the communication, the processes and the reporting really helped you implement a system and structure, which you said is not rocket scientists or rocket science, but fundamentally help people add value, which spurred the innovation, spurred the growth, and had that like you know customer delight that I assume were the things that sort of were the the foundations of you being able to hit that growth trajectory that that you wanted to build. Did I get like capture that? You did very well, and and you know the the organizations that I work with, you know. I work, I've worked with billion dollar plus organizations as an employee and a consultant. And I work with business leaders of smaller to medium sized businesses typically. Um, but what happens is, you know, they, it's very easy to start a business. 20 years ago, it would have, you know, with the cost of technology and the cost of the resources and the cost of the hardware and the software and everything to get a robust SaaS product, it would probably be a million dollars to roll it out from start to finish. Now, now you can do it for less than a 10th of that, which means there are a lot more businesses out there. The the barriers to entry, you can just throw up a website. I, I share with people that you can incorporate online for a few hundred dollars. You can raise money from crowdsourcing sites such as Kickstarter. You can hire programmers from Upwork. You can rent computer processing power from Amazon. You can find manufacturers on Alibaba. You can arrange payments via Square, and then you're ready to conquer the world. That doesn't mean you know how to run a business. It just means you know how to start a business. You know, so it's very hard to sustain and grow it. And now we have, you know, a lot going on, where you know we have COVID <laughs> clearly, and we have this, you know, cancel culture that decides that they don't want to support things politically or in business or otherwise based upon opinions as opposed to facts. And a lot of people are nervous in today's environment. And I use an analogy where somebody who's a new driver and is in front of the wheel holds the wheel tight and they just look out over the barely over the hood. And the reason they do it is because they're inexperienced. 
And I taught my daughters how to drive and witness that. And I basically told them, I understand, you know, when I first learned how to drive, I was kind of anxious and tight too. And it's hard for me to make decisions, but you have to loosen up on the wheel a little bit and look out past the hood in order to actually make some of those pivots that you need to make so you don't crash into something and you can make the moves that you want. And some people don't move forward, especially now because they have, you know, there are challenges to healthy organizations, their biases. There's a sophistication bias where some people don't see it as a real, don't see those adaptations that they need to make as a real opportunity for advantage. There's an adrenaline bias, which is somebody who says, I can't afford to take the time to focus on what I need to do to adapt my business because I'm putting out too many fires right now. And there's a quantification bias. It's somebody who doesn't want to act because he can't fully quantify, he or she can't fully quantify the opportunity and the value and impact. And so what I do is I help companies and their leaders make the right fact-based decisions so that they can reduce the risk and uncertainty and move forward. And, you know, the, there are a couple of examples of companies that I've worked with. One was uh, a, a distribution company that distributed a lot of food products that in March and April basically had their supply chain disrupted. And I worked with them to actually be a distributor of hand sanitizer products, and it actually increased their top line, not just their bottom line worked with a hotel conference facility that has rented out its conference space to, to not only gig workers, but actually podcasters who have extra space, but can actually have quiet and room and uh, all the infrastructure they need to actually podcast or be a podcast guesting quietly. And I work with larger com- a larger company that needed a better location strategy to get closer to their customers. So these companies all were able to embrace change and adapt and change the way that they, the speed with which they actually, you know, were able to act. And that made all the difference in the world. And I don't know if people have seen it, but there's a, a McKinsey study that's out talking about the new normal. And it's basically suggesting that the speed of business has changed and that there are flatter organizations out there, faster information flows, bigger cross-functional teams, more flexible ways of working, including working from home. And talent has to be more flexible, too, to meet the needs. And that's resulting in faster speed to market, increased customer responsiveness, and greater efficiency and, and enhanced performance and employee satisfaction. And so, you know, if you are able to make the right decisions with the right information as opposed to just the way the wind's blowing, your opportunity to succeed is that much greater. And I enjoy working with people to help bring that forth. Mm. Well, so, you know, look at this sophistication bias, adrenaline bias, quantification bias, you know, all the things that stop people from making, we're going to call it optimal decisions versus good decisions. And tying in the like speed of change, if we use your car analogy, it's, you know, you can drive where I'm from, you know, 120 kilometers per hour if you're used to it. And I don't know what that is, like 80 miles, maybe per hour, 90 miles per hour. I don't know how that seems pretty fast. But like, if you're used to it, you can deal with fast change. And I think that there's a maybe a differentiation or distinction between being used to it and being prepared for it. 
So if we look at it from like a systems approach is do you have systems, policies, procedures, communication channels, everything that you talked about in place to help you manage that speed of change? Because if you're driving like a young kid or an old lady, just like at 50 clicks an hour, then everything around you is you're going to miss it. And so I think from what you said, again, the, the vision and the experience and then the processes and the systems are things that contribute to your ability to be able to take advantage of those opportunities, both from a positive and then sort of mitigating or minimizing the, the, the downside or potential downside. You know, switching gears a little bit, no pun intended, we're talking about the change, we're talking about what you've gone through. And one of the things that you mentioned was your grit. And that's like a subject that's coming up a lot with, with leaders. In your experience, and specifically with the Inc. fast-growing companies, can you share with us, you know, one or two examples where your grit was like really tested? And I know that like COVID now is is a time, but I'd like to say like, hey, what is something that tested your grit? How did you get through it? How did you deal with it? Maybe you dealt with it totally poorly, and that's how it went. How it went. But I think the lesson from where you had to demonstrate grit and what you learned from it would be a really cool uh, learning. But I'd love to hear if you have something that you can remember. No, 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 no. I learned grit at an early age. My parents divorced when I was young. We weren't that financially stable. So I, I had to learn how to work from, you know, the time I was like 10 years old in order to just have, you know, I, I had food and shelter. I wasn't, you know, out on the street, but I, 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 I had, you know, in order to do anything I wanted wanted to do or to, you know, to, to have a car, to pay for a car, to, to have any entertainment whatsoever, to put myself through college. I had to, you know, work and, and earn money. So I established that grit um, as a young and took that forth with me. And when I was part of that real estate firm, we were not a known entity and we were disrupting an industry that competed with the big boys. And so you know, and you couldn't use LinkedIn or uh, um, or social media to try and draw business. You had to cold call on people and knock on doors and accept rejection for people who never heard of you before. And in some cases, some of the people we were calling on, we were threatening them because we were going to outsource what they did. So first we had to get in the door and make it all work and get an opportunity to swing the bat, which we, we often were not invited. We had to find our way through. And then we actually had to have a high, you know, using a baseball analogy, we, we had to have a higher batting average than our competition in order to succeed and prosper. And so we had to make sure that we really understood the pain points we really snapped their head back when it came to the value of our model and we were able to make it work. And I just, you know, I remember nights and weekends when I was at Kinko's putting, you know, now FedEx office, I guess, putting together proposals and working with clients and just having to go that extra mile day in and day out with under resource to make everything work. Did you do something specific to get your team to embrace that same attitude or what did they just like see the results and say, Hey, Andy's putting the work in, let's follow him. Uh, it was a culture in our company. You know, everybody likes being on a winning team and everybody likes contributing when they have an opportunity to contribute to something that's impactful that will, will help them and their families. And so we were very transparent about 
leveraging existing customers to secure more work or use them as references. We were very big on having development plans for our team members so that they saw if I was putting in the work to get them to get more business, they could work, you know, have, have worked on a smaller account and have an opportunity for a larger account. So, you know, there were many opportunities for that. And I instill that in my clients. I worked with a client in the last year that was a small client that was trying to retain and grow a piece of business and had a similar problem in that they, you know, all of a sudden it was a customer that they had that was purchased that all of a sudden went to an RFP for enhanced services. And this client of mine had never even answered an RFP or positioned itself. Everything was relationship based on the golf course or, uh, and they had, this client for a number of years where they didn't have to really enhance every, any, any of their services or differentiate themselves. They just did a good job day by day. And I literally had to coach them in terms of how to position themselves differently in order to win that piece of business against much bigger competition. And they won it by me coaching them to understand the culture of the company that was acquiring them, which was a more decentralized company company. So by understanding that some of the decisions could be still made in a decentralized manner, and it wasn't a total outsourced centralization process that was going to work, they actually won the day by understanding the customer better. I think that, I mean, that sounds like a thing that's really rung true through everything that you've talked about is really understanding that customer, understanding their needs, even your team's needs, getting there. Uh, you know, speaking about the, the culture, you know, some of the things I heard, you know, the openness, the having a winning team, like being on a winning team. I saw a player got traded from the NFL because he was on, he's like, I want to play on a winning team. And it didn't seem like his team wanted to win. The contribution, the transparency, I think that that clarity is like, yeah, this is what we're here for and here's what we expect. And the other thing that really just struck me and I wrote down, it's like, how bad do you want it? Because I think that there's a lot of, I'm in Vancouver and it's a very sort of lifestyle oriented city. And I used to work really, really hard. I still work really hard. But, you know, in New York, it's you, you'd work really, the culture of the cities are very different. And I think sometimes like working hard has a negative connotation and like pushing, like being a little bit more aggressive has a negative connotation. But I think it's if you're like clear about it, you know, it can really produce results. And that's that grit, especially now. It's how bad do you want whatever you want? And not at like a shitty way of doing things, but just like, hey, I, if you, I think if you're, open with how you're approaching it, which is what you say, because you're focused on that customer. You're so clear about what you're delivering that customer. That's the thing that supports you and really giving that extra, going the extra mile. hundred percent. I, I was, you know, a very hungry entrepreneur, wanted to solve a problem, wanted to have an impact, wanted to make a good living. Working hard goes hand in hand with it, but it's also working smart. And, and working properly to, to, you know, to hit the target. And one of the things that I talk about with my clients, too, is, you know, a lot of people talk about exit strategies as they get to the end of the life of their business. They end up wanting or having to sell because they need the cash or they're ready to retire or the business is kind of taking its course and is on the downturn or they have some kind of disagreement amongst management or whatever. And then they, and they come to me and, and, I, and I help work with them to optimize the value of the company when they want to sell it. But I have a concept I call exit ready. 
And it's really whether you work for a larger company or, and, you know, and, uh, you know, don't even have the ability or an interest in selling the company ever, or you're working for a smaller or medium sized company and you're, you know, you, you enjoy working and, and you just want to keep the company moving forward. You have to view the company through and your leadership through the eyes of an outside investor. And you should do that from the time you start your business to the time you leave the business. And it involves having unique value proposition, making sure that your pipeline is robust, having a diverse client base so that there's some sustainability and durability in your business, having a good set of financial statements so that you have the ability to continue to invest in your business and meet your obligations, having a team that um, is diverse enough so that it's not relying on its founders to make decisions, and then having appropriate resources like automation and processes. And so when I work with a client, it doesn't matter what stage they're in, that has to be a filter or a filter mechanism that they actually use to actually view what the appropriate decisions are for opportunities that they look at. So if they're looking at vertically integrating or horizontally integrating or acquiring a company or starting a new line of some sort, is that going to help them achieve all of those things that an investor would value at the end of the day? Because that's what's going to optimize the value of the company and op actually optimize the value of the business as a whole. And so um, those are things that I talk with business owners about, about being exit ready, not just when you're looking to sell. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure a lot of those insights are in your book, Grow Like a Pro. I imagine. They are. My book is called Grow Like a Pro. It's lessons from a two-time Inc. 500 executive. It's available on, uh, on Amazon. And it gives a lot of insights and a lot of tools um, that you can use to actually apply to your business today. It's, it's an action-oriented book that's meant to you know, help business owners not just sustain their business, but actually grow it moving forward. And a lot of the things we talked about today are contained in different aspects of the book, for sure. I thought it might be. So I, I had to give you the plug there. So in the description of the podcast, you can get a link to Andy's book. Andy, just in the sort of two minutes we have left before we finish up here, I really want to leave us, you know, you, you talked about the, the jump from regional to national or national to global. So if we're talking to organizations here that, that have the, the eye on that, and, and I know you, you know, just before this talked about thinking like an investor, what's the number one thing that you, you want like CEOs or even like managers to think about as they go either the key learning or like the must do as they go from regional to national to global? What's like the thing that you want to leave them with to support them in, in making that leap a, a reality? Well, I think you have to have a plan, you know, if it's, if it's whether that's how you're changing your career path or more importantly, if that's how you're growing your business from a regional or local business to a regional business to a national business. I think you have to have, you have to put your priorities and focus in order, in order to make that work. So you have to be able to think differently about what's possible for your business and then you have to be able to assess it and qualify it so you know, based upon your organization, what would truly impact your business 
in the best way, given the resources you have. And then you need to be able to execute it and then systematize it to, to gain independence in, in, in what you do. And so if you can do all those things logically, you can grow from regional to national to global. And two other things. One is we followed our clients in a lot of places. So when they had additional needs and they trusted us because we've sold to them before and done good business with them, we would follow them geographically. We would follow them with new sleeves of service and have a built-in customer base in order to be able to do that. And that allowed us to grow in, in many different ways. And the last thing I think you need to do is understand the culture. Uh, I'm originally from New York. I grew up in Connecticut. When I moved down to Atlanta, when we won Delta Delta as a as a beachhead, I was the Yankee diversity play. I was the northern guy with kind of the southern mentality, who had to you know get to know southern managers down here. Uh, Atlanta's a lot more diverse than it was 22 years ago, but you have to understand culturally how people operate differently and understand how people's agendas are differently, whether you're at the top of the organization or the bottom of the organization. And that occurs in different parts of the different states, different parts of the country. And certainly if you operate globally, it's very different if you're in Germany compared to Singapore, compared to New York. Hmm. Absolutely. Well, I think, you know, really get at the heart of everything, understanding who you're talking to, how you can help them, and then, you know, building a plan. If you've got your eyes on that future, well, get Andy's book and uh, you know, build a plan to get there. So really appreciate Andy. Very, very cool uh, insights here. Again, nothing that replaces that experience of being there and doing it and really understanding the nuances. And like you said, you know, while it might not be rocket science, the application of it and the systemization of it are the keys to being able to, well, grow like a pro. So uh, Andy, where can people uh, get a hold of you? Go to my website, midcourseadvisors.com or they can look me up on LinkedIn, Andy Goldstrom. I'm would you know would love the opportunity to speak about any of these concepts and be able to help out anybody I can. No obligation. Just uh, enjoy connecting with people and and learning about people. Awesome. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate you being here today. Thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest today has been Andy Goldstrom, who is the managing partner at Mid Course Advisors. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to rate it five stars on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud, and. Don't forget to be sure to share this episode with somebody who's looking to grow and wants to expand and grow their company like a pro. This has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. My name is Anthony Taylor. Thanks so much for joining us and until next time. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. If you're in the process of renewing your strategic plan and you're looking for a framework to align your team and to create a clear vision, clear goals, and a clear roadmap on how to get there, be sure to check out our signature course that will walk you through the process that we've used to create hundreds of strategic plans successfully for organizations all over the world. You'll get instant access to all the videos and documents right away. And so whether you're planning a strategy session in three months, three weeks, or three days, you'll be able to get the most out of your meeting and have everyone be on the same page and bought into your plan. It's the exact same framework that we've used for our clients and we've packaged it in a way that you can use it easily yourself. So visit smestrategy.net slash course and you can use the code podcast for $100 off. That's smestrategy.net slash course and use the code podcast for $100 off and you'll get instant access to all of the tools to help you create your strategic plan successfully and have everybody moving forward on the same page. 
Once again, this is Anthony Taylor with the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you real soon.